0: Welcome to the Brand Party Podcast. I'm your host, Christine from CL Designs. If you know me, execution and getting shit done is my middle name. This podcast will energize you to invest in your brand in new ways. Join me for tips, insights, and actions you can take to make your brand a priority in your business. My guests and I deliver honest, to-the-point advice you can implement right away. Your brand is worth celebrating. It can be fun, and I'll show you how. Let's get this party started. If looks could kill, Amy would be the brand assassin you would want. She went from producing the world's worst infographic ever created to scaling her agency, Killer Infographics, to a multi million dollar industry leader before being acquired by one of the top branding insights and research firms in the world. Her agency has held global brands like Microsoft, Boeing. Adobe, Nikon, Starbucks, the United Nations, and more to visually tell stories that get people to take notice and most importantly, take action with over $5 million in services to nonprofits. Amy's mission is to empower brands to deliver game-changing experiences through impactful storytelling and killer visuals. Here's Amy. Well, thank you so much for joining in on all the fun today, Amy. I am so excited to have you on here. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be a part of the show. Amazing. Well, I want to dive right in and ask you, how does Brand Party resonate with you?
1: It's something that I think is a a great, great podcast. I've actually been following it for actually a few months now. I've been jumping in and listening. And I think that the concept of impact really, really resonates with me. Um, I think that in the world of design, we have the opportunity to create really positive change by helping nonprofits out there connect with their audiences in new and unique ways. And so I think that one of the most impactful ways that we can create positive change out in the world is by providing our services to those in need really resonates with me.
0: Amazing. That's so heartwarming and it's beautiful thing to see, especially now with everything going on too. But what would you say to those who feel overwhelmed by their branding and design challenges right now? I think that we all feel overwhelmed by branding and design challenges throughout you know, throughout our
1: entire career life cycle. The thing is, is sometimes we have an amazing brand in front of us that gives us so much creative freedom. And other times we have a brand that is so restrictive that it's, it's hard to feel free in those restrictions. And so when we're in those positions, what we really have to do is look at that as a great challenge and say to ourselves hey, how do we take this very restrictive set of brand guidelines and find a way to make something creative and out of the box that still follows every single element? And I think that's just the challenge that you take on as a designer. I think that all, all in all, we have so much opportunity in the world as designers to really change the ways in which audiences engage with our content and the ways in which audiences understand brands or services. And the fact is, is with 91% of audiences preferring visual content over any other form of content today, it means that if you're a designer, you're in the driver's seat. You have more power than, than you really think. And so even when you have these challenges coming at you, what I think you have to do is kind of look at the world by in a way of saying, hey, These challenges exist for me to conquer and for me to overcome and ultimately nobody else out there, uh, not a marketer, not a writer, not typical brand communicator or communication specialist will be able to overcome the challenge the way a talented designer can.
0: Mm -hmm. Oh, I love that because I feel like so many oftentimes as I talk to other creatives, especially it can feel like you're sometimes the last thing on people's to-do list, right? So true. And that is a problem. That's actually a significant problem that
1: I really try to shift the mindset on for a lot of our own customers and a lot of my own public speaking is this concept that designs the afterthought. Design should be the primary first thought in your content marketing plan. Design should be what you put your biggest budget into. It should be what you prioritize above all else. And trusting your designers should be a high priority as well. We've just constantly lived in a world where the idea of brand communicating to their end audience has always been driven by marketers. And what has shifted in the past 10 years is this demand for visual media and far higher expectations of what quality is than than whatever existed before. And so while that has shifted, we have not seen brands move fast enough to realize that they have to have what we call a visual first methodology, where they have to really consider first and foremost, the visual talent that they have on their team, the design talent and the skill sets there and find ways to get marketers and designers to be collaborating from the very beginning. And I think that until brands really shift that way, we're gonna see design continue to be the afterthought, which stinks. There's a study that was just done about um, brands that succeed versus those that don't. And the brands that focus on visual content first, grow their revenue 49% faster than brands that do not, that brands that make design the afterthought. So it's the value, you have to make design the forethought.
0: Mm-hmm. And the numbers don't lie. And you've been doing this for a long time, Amy, and have tested and true so many different uh, modalities to help your clients succeed. And so, can you tell us a little bit more then about your journey, what it's been like, some of the lessons that you've learned along the way? Because I know that you had mentioned that you went from the world's worst infographic ever to now a multi million dollar company that really impacts the world and tells a killer story. So, can you share a little bit more about that? Yeah,
1: definitely. So, you know, when I started, I think it's really important to note that my background is in a few different things. And I think this is true of most millennials, we have a, a kind of sordid background of a lot of different careers. And my background went from going to film school to jumping into um, an insights and research firm that was focused just on movie trailers. So I really got into this world of understanding the customer response to movie trailers and how to edit those trailers and make them different so that you get the most people showing up at your release on the weekend of the movie's release. From there, I went into a video editing job and was doing what was called mobile video on demand. This was before the iPhone existed, and so these were really pixelated videos that were, you know, streamed to flip phones. Um, And I I was doing a lot of, you know, short form video content and learned graphic design on that job. I had an amazing coworker who taught me everything um, in the world of Adobe Illustrator and Photoshop. Um, And I was already, you know, really focused on Premiere and After Effects. So I was kind of grabbing the Adobe Creative Suite over, over time, really learning things. And then I pivoted entirely into online marketing, SEO and and things like that. And when I started focusing on SEO, I learned web design and development. So my career kind of took me through this world of the Adobe creative suite. And by the time I started killer, I viewed myself and still to this day, view myself as a marketer above all else. That is really my true background. I don't view myself as a designer because while I I am a good creative director, I'm not an illustrator, and I am not somebody who has a mastery of typography. And I think great designers have to be a lot of things. They have to be a phenomenal illustrator. They have to have a really great mastery of typography. They have to really, really know layout and hone that layout. They have to understand if they're doing something for web UX and UI design. There's so much of a, um, a science that goes behind great design, but there's also just a core set of skills. And for great designers, those skills are so natural to them. And for me, if you want me to draw a snowman, it's gonna take me like an hour <laughs> to make it look like a good snowman. Like I just, it's our joke in the company because I tried drawing one once and, and I've been made fun of for it since. So I'm not an illustrator. I am really good at creative directing, but I also know where my talents truly lie and where they don't. So I opened my book up saying, I am not a designer, I'm a visual strategist. That is the first sentence of my book. And it is because people often assume I'm a designer and as a result, tend to judge some of the things I say based on, this idea that I'm a designer, but I'm not. I'm a marketer, I'm a creative director, in the end, I'm a visual strategist.
0: Amazing, that transparency is such a beautiful thing and it's still, they work all complementary together for sure and obviously coming from myself from a design background too i know a lot of people listening here they aspire to work with big global brands like you have with like adobe as you mentioned massive fan use it daily but also you know we need to fuel up with like starbucks and do some good in the world with for example the united nations and more so can you share a little bit more of how you went from you know creating snowman (laughs) illustrations to working with these big global brands amy (laughs) Definitely.
1: You know, I had started creating infographics with, uh, again, the skills that I had learned through my previous jobs, but I was creating them specifically for the SEO value, for the online marketing value. And this was 2010, when honestly in 2010, you could slap the word infographic on any piece of visual content and it would succeed because people were still figuring out what infographics were. People were really excited about visual media. And we were living in a world where all of technology had finally caught up to our own kind of craving for visual media. So brands were just trying to kind of throw a bunch of different types of visual content at the wall to see what would stick. So I designed my first infographic, which is just an absolutely horrific infographic called the history of e-commerce. And I did it for my old business model. My old business model was a bunch of different websites, all utilizing affiliate marketing to get revenue. And so I had created that infographic and somehow it truly succeeded everywhere online. I mean, it just took off, but it's horrible. It's such a bad design. I can't even get past how bad it is, but it succeeded. And then I started creating more infographics because I saw all the success of that one, but luckily some real talented people out in the marketplace kind of schooled me and came to me and said, those aren't infographics. Stop sending junk out into the ether. And the reason mine were really being seen was because of my marketing that I was pushing behind the infographics, not because they were high quality. And so what ended up happening was I really wanted to learn more about infographics. I wanted to learn more about visual communication. I saw the power in it. And I knew that I wasn't properly executing on it all. My old business partner thought of the name killer infographics. And we said, well, what can we do with this name? So we built a website initially that was a directory of infographics, kind of like visually is today. So that was our original idea was like, let's create this directory of infographics. And it was about a year before visually launched and we were reviewing those infographics. And in reviewing them, I was starting to put together a list of best practices and a list of rules to really operationalize the idea of visual communication and how to do it properly. And as I would critique infographics that were submitted to our site, people started to get offended with my critiques. So an agency came to me and said, you have just consistently told us that our infographics are horrible. Can you do any better? And I thought to myself, yeah, I think so. Not me personally, but I have a lot of highly talented designer friends who are looking for work right now. So yeah, let's give this a shot. And we just kind of started designing infographics for hire. And that's really kind of the beginning of everything. That was around the end of September in 2010. We jumped into Q4 of 2010 we had 14 orders. Then Q1 of 2011, Just January of 2011, we had 40 orders. So we went from 14 orders in one quarter to 40 a month. And we just hit this big tipping point. I started, you know, testing a bunch of different designers. I learned very quickly that you could have a beautiful design portfolio, but it wouldn't necessarily mean that you were a good visual communicator, a good infographic designer. So we spent about two years really honing our skills, really honing our process and really making sure that we could demand a higher level of clientele. And by 2012, we were at a point where we felt really confident that we could go after some really big brands. And we got in front of those big brands in two ways. One was simply SEO. The name Killer Infographics really worked well, sold our work before we even had to get on the phone with people. The other thing we did was we found some really good publications to do some trade work with, where we said, we will trade our services to have our designs in your publications, or to have you say to your whole community of followers, hey, you should hire Killer Infographics. Um, So we did that locally first with a company called GeekWire. GeekWire has um, over a million visitors a month. It's a Pacific Northwest online news source for the tech world. So we knew that a bunch of big companies like Microsoft, Amazon, et cetera, were constantly reading GeekWire. So that was our first big trade. And that really started that tipping point. It started the snowball effect. And ultimately the majority of the brands that we work with today, they all have just come to us organically, either via word of mouth or they have found us through one of our myriad searches or me speaking. I have since 2013 been speaking at conferences, teaching people visual communication because of not wanting to put junk out into the world, because there's so much low quality content out there that I think it's really important to teach everybody who wants to learn what quality is and how to execute it. And in doing all of that, it really got Killer out there as the leader in the world of visual communication. It helped build me as a thought leader in the space. And as a result, people, major brands have been coming to us on a regular basis ever since.
0: Amazing. Well, a massive congratulations for educating (laughs) the world and up-leveling it up as well. also, a massive thank you because, you know, at this time of this recording anyways, you've provided over $5 million also in services to nonprofits on top of all the other amazing work that you do in education. And so often as business owners, we're unsure potentially about how we can make an impact or give back large amounts of uh you know, whether it is our time or our money while still being able to pay all the bills and take care of business. But what are a few ways that we can incorporate an impactful way to get back into our business model?
1: So one of the things we did, and this started around 2012, we felt like we were finally at a place where we could donate our services. And that was really important to us. For us, it's, it's really about practicing what we preach and living the values of the company. And so we really wanted to make sure that we were empowering the right types of nonprofits. So many nonprofits out there need to get in front of their audience and explain complex messages, but can't afford a great agency to do the work. And so knowing that we said to ourselves, let's pick one nonprofit a month and donate one project to them a month. So that's how it started. And because at the time we were really focused on infographics, it was really easy to donate one infographic a month, especially cause we were doing like 40 or 50 a month. So donating one a month was not a problem at all. And it was well worth the investment because not only was it an investment in our own, just, you know, emotions of feeling good mm-hmm. about what we were doing. When you give back to nonprofits, what ends up happening is your entire team starts to feel the power of the work that you do. They want to help the company grow. They want to stay longer because they're seeing the impact of their work. And so when you make an investment out into the world like that, you're also investing in your team and in your company. And and the average tenure at killer is now seven years. The average tenure in the design industry for design agencies is six months. So, My employees stick around and a huge reason they do is because we give. We actually got to a point where as we grew, we moved past just doing infographics. We started doing motion graphics and annual reports and ebooks and the list goes on. If it's creative visual content, we do it. And as a result, we changed our name to Killer Visual Strategies. And prior to that name change, you know, once we knew we had all of these different services, we felt like donating one project a month wasn't really going to move the dial. So then we said, let's pick one nonprofit a year and donate for the entire year to that nonprofit. And we always will donate at least six figures of work per year to a nonprofit. And then we'll still do donation work monthly and any work we do with nonprofits, we do at cost instead of at a profit that's the other aspect of how we donate. We, you know, if a nonprofit were to come to me tomorrow and say, I need the, I need, you know, 20 different projects from you, how much is it gonna cost? I'm gonna say, these are the hours, this is what it costs us to do these hours. You're not getting charged an agency rate, you're just gonna pay the cost. So that's another way we can really donate our time and services. Mm -hmm. It's really just about finding those opportunities, finding those ways that you're willing to take a percentage of your profits and say, I don't need those profits. I need the warm, fuzzy feelings that I get by helping nonprofits in need. Right after George Floyd, we really desperately wanted to do something. We, we knew that that there was a need out there in the world and that if we weren't doing something, that we would honestly kind of lose ourselves in just the grief that the nation was feeling, and so we reached out to the NAACP and have been donating our services to the NAACP Legal Defense Fund ever since, which has been really, really rewarding, especially in 2020. It's been it's been really beneficial for us.
0: Mm-hmm. I love that you mentioned that because I think you collectively have, as a team, have garnered such a yeah, warm feeling and culture that you've developed as well, which is, such a rare thing to find and obviously it speaks volumes as to the tenure that you had mentioned and it's undeniable what you had mentioned previously too about visual content is here to stay and brands that can master that visual communications in their marketing strategy will just be able to better engage with their audiences on an unprecedented level as you have also said on your website but there are so many touch points that go into each brand and business that sometimes we don't even realize that it takes those seconds to make that good first impression and as attention spans are getting way shorter every day now how can we boost engagement with our visual communications that's what's crazy it takes now
1: one tenth of a second to make a first impression and so i mean when we're talking about how we can maximize our impact there are a couple of things that are really worth considering it takes the brain anywhere from four to eight seconds to comprehend a sentence of text anything that is six words or more and so we cannot lead with text we cannot rely on a call to action or a headline as the end-all be-all message to our audiences instead we need to really focus on how a custom illustration is going to connect with your target audience how the right photography not stock photography but true candid photography is going to connect with your audience, how iconography can make a difference. And so when we really look at visual communication as a whole, we consider to ourselves first and foremost, who is your target audience and what visuals are going to resonate with them more than anybody else. And then we make choices based on the visuals that the audience wants, not necessarily the visuals that we want. If we as designers just focus on what we like in the end it's not going to make that impact because sometimes what i like isn't going to be what you like i need to know who my audience is to make design choices that cater to that audience specifically
0: Mm -hmm. and also i think i found uh from one of your talks that you had mentioned 72 percent of people only engage with content that's personalized for them specifically so There can be a lot of that imposter syndrome as we're trying to second guess what content we should put out in the world because it is so saturated it feels like but how can we identify some of the fundamentals when it does come to visual communications so i have a a
1: list of rules in fact that's the bulk of my book is eight very very focused rules on visual communication to ensure that if you're following each one of those rules that you can truly succeed in in the content that you create. At the very high level, it's all about quality. And, And quality is not about just creating pretty pictures. I actually had a colleague of mine that I really, really trust the opinion of, somebody who works at Column 5 Media, also a wonderful agency that does beautiful work. And he said to me, you constantly talk about quality. But that's so subjective. What is quality to you, Amy? I actually answer that in my book because of that challenge that he put to me. In my mind, quality is when form and function are equally prioritized. Superior form plus superior function equals quality. Um, so first and foremost, it's about producing high quality content. Content where you are considering every tiny detail And that brings me to one of my rules: small visual cues have a large impact. And that is because even the tiniest visual element that you add into your design, if it doesn't have intent behind it, if it's just there for the sake of adding some visuals, it's going to feel too fluffy and you're ultimately going to alienate some of your audience. Um, Another big rule I have always think about context. It's a con when there's too much text. This is a huge one. You mentioned, you know, we only have a short period of time to really catch somebody and get that great first impression. Well, 94% of first impressions are based on design. And if we see a wall of text in front of us, our first impression is this is going to take too much time. This is too much work for me. And so it's about leading with custom bespoke visuals that makes a significant difference.
0: Hmm. I think, well, this year is very telling of it, but more than ever, your audience is more than likely overwhelmed and exhausted. So make it as easy as possible for them to consume the content that you're putting out there, right? Make it fun, make it entertaining, make it educational. But Once we've created these pieces of content and to support our marketing and branding strategy and efforts, what are a few ways that we can test out whether it's actually making that impact or not? Perhaps you can share a little bit more too. I know you have a story arc uh, structure that you follow too.
1: We have a story arc structure for motion graphics. um, That's very similar to the story arc structure you would have for a major motion picture. It's a three act structure. The difference is you're doing that three act structure in 90 seconds or less, these days, 60 seconds. And so you only have mere seconds to hit that three act structure. With a motion graphic, it's really focused on act one, introducing the problem. Act two, introducing the audience as the hero. So you've got the problem. Now the audience is that hero who is trying to find that solution and then act three, it's here's the solution, and here's your call to action. If you follow that, that cadence with a motion graphic, you'll see that in the end, people really will watch till the end and it will increase your conversion rates. There are so many ways to measure the success of your content online. First and foremost, you have to make sure it's built for the channel you're going to deliver it on. And that's that idea of form and function. You have to make sure you're creating it to function properly. So let's say you've invested in a motion graphic. Well, a 90 second motion graphic, anything from 60 to 90 really, works great on your homepage, but you don't want to put a 60 to 90 second motion graphic out on social media. It's too long for social media. So you need to find a way to shorten that. Now, if you're putting it out on LinkedIn, 45 seconds works. If you're putting it out on Facebook or Instagram, we want 15 seconds you don't want to go beyond that 15 seconds and it's the same thing with twitter you want it to be about 10 seconds and a GIF with twitter and so you have to understand all of these channels and what the attention spans are of audiences on these channels what are they willing to spend time looking at because each channel has a different set of distractions in front of you once you've put that plan in place and said I'm going to create maybe a motion graphic and then I'm gonna shorten that motion graphic in the following ways for all of these other channels. You also might say, I'm gonna grab five scenes from the motion graphic and create static images, or I'm gonna stack these scenes on top of each other and add some data and create an infographic, or I'm going to paginate these scenes and create an ebook. You can really take one piece of content and come up with 20 different ways to use that piece of content and really plan each channel it's going to go on and then track engagement on each channel. Each channel, you're gonna have a different set of goals. For instance, if I was putting something out on LinkedIn, my goal would be really focused around people going back to my website. If I was putting stuff on Facebook, my goal would be focused around engagement, shares, likes, and more followers. And so you have to have one goal per piece of content. That's the other big thing. And once you have that one goal identified per piece of content, then it's all about really measuring just whether or not your messaging helps drive that goal or not.
0: Mm -hmm. Amazing. Well, I love a good piece of repurposed content as well. (laughs) Make your life easier and amplify that message from there. So Amy, I do have a few rapid fire questions for you. Are you ready? I am. What are you currently celebrating? Ooh, gosh, it's rapid fire. I'm not answering fast (laughs)
1: enough. How about this? I am celebrating right now the fact that Killer is 10 years old. We've been celebrating our 10 year anniversary this year. I think that's a really nice win. Oh,
0: amazing. Congratulations. That's a massive
1: milestone. Killer Visual Strategy is the book just won Best Book Design of 2020 by Graphic Design USA and um, was also listed as one of the top marketing books of 2020 by the Porchlight Book Awards. So I'm definitely celebrating
0: that. Oh my goodness, so many great things, I have goosebumps. So definitely check out Amy's book. We'll mention it in the show notes for anybody who wants to check it out too. And what is the number one thing that you want people to have fun with from this episode?
1: I would love it if people took from this episode, challenged themselves to identify all of the different ways they could speak to very unique target audiences. You can take one brand and create all these offshoot visual languages that are specific to each different unique audience within that brand. I think it's a great challenge that designers should be taking on.
0: Amazing. And what is your
1: bold legacy? My Bold legacy? If I could have anything, it would just be empowering designers to be the ones in the driver's seat and empowering marketers to feel really confident about talking to designers. I think that there's just such a disconnect between marketers and designers. And I would love a world where marketers and designers feel like they are just both you know, e- equal halves of a whole, working together to create great experiences for their end customers.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, common goal for sure. Well, thank you so much, Amy, for taking the time to join in on the fun on the Brand Party Podcast. Where can people find out more about you? You can follow me on Twitter at Amy baliot. You can follow me on
1: LinkedIn. I'm much more active on LinkedIn, so I definitely suggest uh, checking me out there. Don't hesitate to email me on LinkedIn, ask me any questions, anything like that. I'm also a LinkedIn learning instructor, so you can dive in and um, check out my courses there. I have a new course coming out in the spring called the 20 Rules of Visual Communication. It is set up to match the cadence of my book with my book being a textbook and the, um, the course kind of acting as this extra compliment to the book.
0: Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Amy. Thank you so much, really appreciate it. Looking for additional support to create a clear, confident, and cohesive brand? Grab the guide that has helped business owners alike determine what's most important when you're just starting to build a brand so you can continue on with what you do best with a free brand consistency checklist when you sign up for the email newsletter Get access right away straight to your inbox with the link in the show notes.